0: Hi there, my lovely Art Curious listeners. Welcome back to the Art Curious podcast, where I, your host, Jennifer Dassel, explores the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. I would love to welcome you to our show if you are new, and I hope that this is a fun and fascinating place for you to explore the vast world of art. And, of course, a big welcome back to our longtime listeners, too. If you have been here with me for the last few years, then you'll know that Art Curious has grown and morphed in this time. We started out as a bi-weekly show with no theme, and then we moved towards a thematic and seasonal format where we release a spate of episodes about twice a year. We've added interviews with authors who are publishing books about art and artists. We've expanded into YouTube videos just this year. And, of course, we've got our own book out. Art Curious, Stories of the Unexpected, Slightly Odd, and Strangely Wonderful in Art History. Look it up. It is available wherever you like to buy or order your favorite books and audiobooks. And last year, 2021, we also produced an audio course with our friends over at Avid.fm. And that course is called Breaking Barriers, Women Artists of Renaissance Europe. And guess what? That course is still available, and it is filled with evergreen content that you can access on your own time so that you can learn for fun at your own pace. Breaking Barriers is a 21-day course, meaning that you essentially get a mini-episode of Art Curious every day for three weeks straight. And they are likely to blow your mind or include information about your next very favorite artist. So this is three weeks with every day featuring the story of a new Renaissance painter, sculptor, miniaturist, everyone from Sofonisba Anguissola and Marietta Robusti to lesser-known artists like Annelli and Lavina Tierlink. This course will lead you through the lives and careers of groundbreaking women who've truly made their mark on art history. And here's the deal. I want you to take this course. The whole shebang is less than $30, and it will make a great gift for the art history nerd in your life. Wink, wink. Or it can be a great way to enjoy a little art love for yourself. You can buy this course at avid.fm slash jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R. So that's an easy breezy little URL for you. But, 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 I don't want to leave you completely in the dust if you are not able to take this course or to pay for it. So for this season of Art Curious, I am doing something a little bit different. I am treating you to some slightly zhuzhed up renditions of eight of my favorite segments from Breaking Barriers. And I would encourage you that if you like it, please purchase the whole course for the price of a modest dinner out. You'll be helping me in the process. Every episode will also include music and podcast-only tidbits here, so you are not getting a doubled-up experience if you have been one of the lucky ones to take Breaking Barriers so far. So, now we get to the real part. There is a reason that I'm going to do this, y'all, besides just wanting to direct you out to our awesome Evergreen course with some truly amazing artists. So, here it is. I am knee-deep in research right now for another book. So yay! But also, woof, yikes, it is a lot of work. So I don't want to leave you in a lurch without some great art historical goodness to get you through this fall and early winter. And rest assured that next spring we will be back with an all-new slate of episodes, just like you know and love. And we'll still be here now and through the end of the year with Art Curious news this week and bonus interviews and segments. So let's do it. Let's get into it. Today, I am sharing a story about the family of one of the most well-known female artists of the Renaissance. You might know a little bit about Sofonisba Anguissola, whose story we shared all the way back in episode 20 of the podcast and that we recently re-aired. But how much do you know about her sister, Lucia? And what about other Anguissola family members? So from Breaking Barriers, Women of Renaissance Europe, please enjoy this extended cut of Lucia Anguissola and Elena Anguissola in their sisters' footsteps. We are headed to Cremona, Italy for today's class, back to the noble family of the Anguissolas. If you've listened to Art Curious before in the past, then you might already be familiar with the Anguissola family, especially the most precocious child of the family, the eldest daughter, Sofonisba, who went on to live an extraordinarily long life and an exceptionally successful artistic career during the Italian Renaissance. Sophonisba was raised by a father named Amalkare, who greatly valued education for all of his children, not just his son, at a time when presenting girls with the opportunity to learn about classical thought and literature was uncommon, to say the least. And this ended up being an educational opportunity that Elena, the second eldest Inguisola child, and Lucia, the third eldest, enjoyed, just as Sophonisba herself had. Now, given that all of the children of the Anguissola family were taught under the same roof, it's not surprising to note similarities between these people's works of art, especially in terms of subject matter. But what's interesting about Lucia Anguissola in particular is that she seems to have excelled at a faster rate than Sofonisba, her older sister, even if overall some critics don't deem her works as inventive as Sofonisba's. But at the time, it seems like her contemporary art critics really expected her to outshine her famous older sister and believed that she, Lucia, could have overtaken her in popularity and esteem if it weren't for the sad reality that Lucia died when she was just around 20 years old. In the 1600s, Lucia Anguissola's works were being praised by biographer Filippo Baldinucci, who was an early art historian and an artist biographer, kind of akin to his Renaissance counterpart, Giorgio Vasari, both of whom believed that, in Baldinucci's words, Lucia would have graduated to becoming, quote, a better artist than even Sofonisba. unquote. Lucia and Elena both accompanied Sofonisba, their older sister, in being apprenticed to two local painters in their hometown of Cremina. And after their first teacher, Bernardino Campi, relocated to Milan, then Sofonisba took over teaching painting for all of her younger siblings. Now, I can only imagine that with multiple children in the same family, all trying to achieve parity in the same artistic subjects, that there was probably no lack of sibling rivalry in the Anguissola household although we can't be totally sure. And as the other most talented of the bunch, besides Sylfonisba, that is, it is possible that Lucia felt this sense of rivalry more keenly than the others. This is a theory that has led to a specific kind of interpretation of one of Lucia's best-known works, her self-portrait from 1557. In this painting, she presents herself sitting and holding a book in one hand while her other rests gently on her heart. She's dressed beautifully in proper, somber dark clothes of black and brown, with a lace collar tied up and her hair braided, but it is her expression that I think is most interesting. Unlike her sister's portrait at the easel, Lucia's face doesn't project confidence or assurance. Instead, there's a look in her eye that is harder to read. Is she more distant or guarded, perhaps? There's no relaxed expression. No little smile here to nod at her comfort in her own skin. It's something that seems to set Lucia apart from her sister, especially from Sofonisba's own self-portraits, which are indeed much more assured. This appears to track with much of Lucia Anguissola's works. So in the extant ones, meaning the works of art that have survived and that we have been able to identify as those by the hands of Lucia, many art historians have noticed that they are suffused with this sense of melancholy. And where does this melancholy stem from? In one publication, the Catalog for the National Museum of Women in the Arts in Washington, D.C., this portrait has been psychoanalyzed as showing Lucia's feelings about being in her older sister's shadow, a following in her footsteps, a feeling inferior. Whether or not this is true, though, is truly impossible to know. Just like in some cases, it's even really difficult to know that a work by Lucia is actually by Lucia and not by Sophonisba or another member of this ultra-talented clan. To be fair, this actually isn't an uncommon refrain. It's one that you will hear a lot in the Breaking Barriers course, that it is always a little tricky to identify and determine authorship of works of art by women from earlier than the mid to late 19th century. Authorship is tricky in any time period, to be honest. But given that artists here didn't start actively signing their works until the Renaissance, there's an extra layer of difficulty. Now, sidebar, why is it that artists began signing their works of art at this particular junction in history, you ask? Well, we do cover it fully in the first episode of Breaking Barriers, but in brief. The individual creator began to be praised for their creations, and artists started creating works on their own instead of working in a more collaborative guild system where patrons would basically hire a group to create, for example, stonework for a new church or a cathedral. But in a competitive, highly individualistic artistic marketplace like during the Renaissance, signing your name to a work of art was suddenly then super important. But that doesn't always mean that it happened all the time or that it was even a common practice. And in Lucia's case, this does translate to only a couple of paintings that actually hold her signature. The most famous one, a work lauded by the artistic biographer and critic Giorgio Vasari, is Lucia's Portrait of Pietro Mana, painted most likely between 1557 and 1560, and truly only known to Vasari himself after Lucia Anguissola had already died. To date, it's the only known painting in existence in which Lucia signed her entire name, with an inscription reading, quote, Lucia Anguissola Amilcaris F. Adolescence F., with the two Fs here being abbreviations for filia and fecit, or fetchit, respectively. In translation, this Latin phrase means Lucia Anguisola, the adolescent daughter of Almukari, made this. Clearly, Lucia was proud of this painting, and not only wanted to provide herself with the proper credit, but she also wanted to honor her family, too, including her supportive father's name in the inscription. and there appears to have additional meaning for the Inquisola family in the portrait of Pietro Mana himself. Mana, who was probably a relative of the Anguissola clan, is presented in a lush fur-trimmed robe and seated while grasping a wooden staff ornately carved with a winding snake in his left hand. While some might be tempted to think of this rod as a caduceus, the typical symbol of medical practices that has been used since ancient times, this one actually isn't. For one, a caduceus typically is presented with two snakes winding together around a short, and usually winged, staff. But here, there is only one snake and definitely no wings in sight. Historian Vida Hull, a professor at East Tennessee State University, has suggested instead that it is linked to the Anguissola family coat of arms, which breaks up the surname into two words and reads in full, quote, Anguis sola Fesit Victoriam, translating to the lone snake became victorious. Interpreted in this light, the painting of Mana isn't just a loving and energetic portrait of a family member, but a showcase, too, for Lucia's education, showing her background in the Latin language and in classical mythology and symbology. It's no wonder that Amilkari Anguissola, her father, so proudly showcased this work of art to Vasari when Vasari visited his family in Cremona. Hull believes it's possible that Papa Anguissola considered Lucia to be as talented as his eldest daughter, Sofonisba, And indeed, again, it's possible that had Lucia survived long enough into adulthood and continued to paint at this level, we would be celebrating her just as much, if not more, than her famed sister. If, in searching around to find more information about the Anguissola sisters after this course— and you happen to Google Lucia's name, you are apt to find something very interesting. The name Lucia Anguissola will call up images more often than not that are those attributed to Sophonisba and not to Lucia as the artist. And all of this begs a question. When multiple artists whose works are so similar in their subject matter and style, how often do their attributions get mixed up? Are there more works out there by Lucia that might mistakenly be attributed to Sofonisba instead? Now, this would only really apply to the oldest of pieces, works that were created when both women were teenagers or young adults, since Lucia in particular died so young. But this mix-up is a possibility. But with more effort, research, and recognition put toward these incredible artists, I would guess and would hope that more of these pieces will come to light. We are not done with the Anguissola family yet, though. Nope, not at all. So right after our quick break, we will be back to share the story of yet another talented Anguissola daughter. So stay with us. I work in the visual arts, so I know a thing or two about being creative. But if you're working for yourself, it's also time to get creative to make your mark in the world. Whether you're an independent creator like me or you're working as part of a team, you can make your business stand out from the rest with Issue. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content from marketing materials and magazines to catalogs, portfolios, and more. So there's no need for endless scrolling through PDFs. Issue features your digital content in an easy to view way on every device. You make it once and you can distribute it everywhere without reformatting an Instagram post for Twitter or whatever your platform may be. Your content is automatically optimized for engagement and ready to share. Issue works seamlessly with the other tools that you probably already use and love, like Canva, Dropbox, MailChimp, and InDesign. And you can start using Issue for free. Try it out and explore premium features that offer a customized experience. You can get started with Issue today for free or sign up for an annual premium account and get 50, that's five zero, percent off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code ArtCurious. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use promo code ARTCURIOUS at checkout for your free starter account or 50% off an annual premium account. Issue dot com slash podcast code ARTCURIOUS. If you're anything like me, you have tons of photos on your phone that you'd love to display or pictures from vacations that would make beautiful artwork or gifts. But taking the time to print and frame and just hang them seems overwhelming and time-consuming. But I've got a great solution for you. With canvasprints.com, you can easily turn your photos into beautiful prints perfect for every room of your home or office and anyone on your gift list. CanvasPrints.com offers the highest quality canvas prints at affordable prices, and it is so easy to use. Just upload your image, choose your canvas size, and check out. You can even add a floating frame, as I did to my print, for a beautiful finishing touch. The only limit is truly your imagination. And if you're not into canvas, no worries, because CanvasPrints.com also offers metal prints, poster prints photo tiles, photo gifts, and so much more. I am especially looking forward to making my own Christmas ornaments this year for my family and ordering some new Art Curious stickers, both of which are coming to canvasprints.com very soon. Right now, canvasprints.com has a special offer just for our listeners. Go to their website canvasprints.com and use code ARTCURIOUS25 to get 25% off your entire order of canvas prints, canvas wall displays, metal prints, photo tiles, photo blankets, pillows, and so much more. So why not start and finish your holiday shopping early with this amazing offer? That's canvasprints.com and use promo code ARTCURIOUS25 for 25% off your entire order. When you're hiring, you're supposed to leave no stone unturned. But how do you really do that? Partner with one powerful stone turner. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. I've said it before and I will say it again, but I love Indeed's virtual interviews. With virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time because you can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed makes it easy to connect with your applicants. There is no need to install anything extra because Indeed's virtual interview tool works from your browser. And anything that helps make your life easier during hiring, that is always a great thing. So join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar and every moment count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in their database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash art to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash art. Indeed.com slash art. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to Art Curious. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast episode today that Lucia and Sofonisba were the most accomplished artists in their incredibly interesting family. But they weren't the only ones. They were joined by at least three more of the Anguissola daughters. From what we know about the younger sisters, Europa and Minerva, they too studied painting alongside Sofonisba and Lucia. But once they married, they shifted their priorities toward family life as would have been expected as the norm, especially for women of their social stature. Elena Anguissola, however, continued to follow closely in her sister's footsteps. Like the others, Elena learned at the hands of the two local Cremona artists, Bernardo Campi and Bernardino Gatti. But as opposed to the younger Lucia, Elena and Sofonisba, the eldest two, really went hand in hand, working closely together in Gatti's workshop and later moving on to Mantua where they presented themselves to the court of the Manchuan rulers, the Gonzaga family, as painters of merit and talent. But somewhere around Elena's 20s, she disappears from the record books with the exception of a mention in her family's surviving letters and her brother's 1575 will and testament. But there is a reason for this. It's true that Elena probably didn't do much painting after this point. But the reason is because she opted to take holy orders becoming a Dominican nun at the convent of San Vincenzo in Mantua. As the tradition holds in some orders, women would then adopt new names, new nun names, if that's a phrase, so a name that would represent their new life and identity as the so-called Brides of Christ. Fascinatingly, and also super confusingly in this case, Elena adopted the name Sister Minerva, and Minerva just happened to be the name of her little sister, Minerva Anguissola. We do have Sofonisba, though, to thank for at least one portrait of Elena, her saintly sister. In 1551, Sofonisba completed an image of Sister Minerva, her sister Elena, dressed in the traditional white robes of the Dominican order, a color that was chosen by Saint Dominic, the founding of the order, who wore the color after receiving a vision of the garments in a dream, according to legend. She's also shown donning a white veil or a white headdress, which often signifies a woman as a novitiate, or someone in the process of becoming a fully-fledged nun. Sophonisba captures Elena still in the blossom of youth, her cheeks tinted with a soft flush and her mouth a perfect rosebud, both of which are highlighted to great effect by that pure whiteness of her habit. In her hands, she delicately holds a leather-bound prayer book, and she, like Sophonisba would, and unlike Lucia, looks out to us, the viewers, with serenity and conviction, giving us the sensation that she knows that she made the right choice in her life's direction. Sophonisba, by the way, signed her name to this work of art. Because she entered the convent and discontinued her career as a painter, we don't have much extant work out there by Elena. But there is something. In the Galleria Borghese in Rome, there is a painting dating from around the mid-1550s, showcasing a Dominican nun, this time wearing a black veil and holding symbols of Christ's passion and purity. There is a crucifix piercing a small heart in her left hand, and she holds white lilies in the other. This work represents not Elena the person, but another nun, Osana Andreazzi, a 15th-century saint from Mantua who was most beloved by the Dominicans. Like the works of many women artists, this was assigned as a finished piece by multiple male artists of varying stature, based in and around Venice, Florence, and Siena, before an art historian in the mid-20th century identified it as a work by Sofonisba Anguissola. Not so fast, though. Only a couple of decades ago, around the turn of the 21st century, did scholars take a second peek at the work, considering that it, A, bears a strong resemblance to Elena, as noted from the portrait that Sophonisba made of her in 1551— and B, that there has long been a precedence for nuns with artistic inclinations to paint themselves in the guise of holy figures as a way to showcase their admiration for them, as well as their dedication to acting like them. Elena would have known about the blessed Osana Andreazzi, and she could have easily represented herself as such. Plus, it's a great piece, to be fair, but it is just slightly less refined than the 1551 portrait. Thus, the work has been officially reattributed, no longer catalogued as a Sofonisba Anguissola, but an Elena Anguissola. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Art Curious Podcast, featuring our look at my extended course, Breaking Barriers, Women of Renaissance Europe. Please go buy the whole course. It will make a great holiday present for those whom you love and who love art in your life. And again, you would be helping me out in the process. What a great present. Thank you. Please go to avid.fm slash Jennifer. That's avid.fm slash Jennifer. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening, especially while I am working very, very hard on another book for you. Thank you so much for sticking with me and stay curious.